and welcome back to another episode of On Coaching with Magnus and Marcus. I'm Steve Magnus, Deputy Director of the wonderful High Performance West, and I'm joined by my good friend, John Marcus, the Director of High Performance West. John, it's a glorious day. We're here to give the people what they want. The people's champs have won Boston Marathon, folks. Uh, you know, as a fan, I couldn't be more happier. It's like Christmas in April. And just before we get to the Boston celebration and discussion, uh, you know why people run marathons? To get life. Hmm. life. Tell us about life. And you know where you can get more life? And in particular, life insurance? Health IQ. They're an innovative company. That's why they joined with us, because we're a innovative coaching and uh, training podcast. And what mm-hmm. they do is they are an insurance company that helps people like John and I, runners, cyclists, weightlifters, you guys, even people who eat healthy, right? Eat a vegetarian diet or something um, along that lines. Well, you can get lower rates on your health or on your life insurance. So what we suggest is if you want to save some money on life insurance, head on over to healthiq.com slash oncoaching. That'll also be in the show notes at scienceofrunning or highperformancewest.com. Check it out. They're doing some really cool, innovative things with you know, use, utilizing race results and Strava accounts to show that you're being healthy so that they can uh, save you some money on life insurance, which is something that we all need. And what we all need is actual money in our pocket. So we're going to keep beating this drum. You can save money with Health IQ. And you get money for free, yes, from High Performance West. That's why we're wonderful. So go to highperformancewest.com. There's a tab until mid-May that says $100. Fill it out. Let us know who you are. Let us know your favorite episode. And then Steve and I will pick two recipients for $100 cash from us, from High Performance West, from the dollars that we're privileged enough to get through the sponsorship, go right back to the people. And then we're also going to give you an extra 100 bucks each to do something generous with, to make a contribution, to help someone, some, some organization, some need. Whatever you deem appropriate with that extra $100, the whole goal is to pay it forward because that's a big part of what High Performance West is about, is making a generous contribution. And it wouldn't be right. And we'd be total hypocrites if we just took the money and ran here instead of we're going to give it to you. So then also you can give some to whoever or whomever or whatever you deem fit. So go to HPW or high, excuse me, HPW is registered under a completely different outfit. So don't go there. Go to <laughs> highperformancewest.com. <laughs> we couldn't get the domain rights to that, unfortunately. It would have cost us like far too much. But maybe in the future. Highperformancewest.com, the $100 tab, fill it out. We'll... Take it offline mid-May, and then end of May, we will announce our winners, and we'll send you guys cold, hard cash in the mail. And you know what else is generous? You know what else is? The Boston Marathon. Oh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I'm just so happy. It is. (laughs) All right. And today's episode, um, a spur of the moment on Coaching Podcast, we're going to dive into everything Boston Marathon. And yes, yes, we know you've seen it. You watched it, hopefully. But what we're going to do is give you as dive in as much detail as we can, give you the coach's perspective, and I think take you through the whole, you know, our perspective on the whole thing. Yeah, let me preface this by saying Steve and I are not pundits. All right. We're not here making predictions. We're coaches. We work in the, you know, industry. We work in the setting where, you know, when we don't have a dog in the fight, which none of us had this year at the Boston Marathon, we take the luxury to sit back as fans but also never with the coaching hat completely off and watch something as historic as was the 2018 Boston Marathon. A lot of predictions from the pundits did not come to fruition. The favorites dropped out. The favorites were not even in the conversation after Heartbreak Hill. It was one of those racing events where it was just pure racing. And I think that to me is the beauty of it. And then seeing the people's champs, um, you know, take the victories both on the men's and women's side was just, you know, if we want to talk confirmation bias here, elevated Steve's and my confirmation bias about it's these intangibles. It's these, you know, je ne sais quoi of an athlete's constitution 
that in moments like this really shine through versus the clinical, prescriptive, always hitting the pace, run this time, and therefore that is your holy grail and path to the, you know, uh, pearly gates of PRville or winning. No, we didn't see that today. Steve, what did we see? Oh, we saw magic. I mean, we saw... What we saw, I think, is a um, pure demonstration of the joy of racing, right? The joy of racing without having to focus on times of just getting out there and seeing, hey, who's got it today and who's got the most grit and toughness? And it was pure and magical. Um, so, So I think, you know, maybe a place to start is let's go back a little bit let's go back to before the marathon starts right what what were you thinking john as a coach watching this right seeing the weather conditions you know i because you know we we all have a text group we're all talking about this stuff right last night and then this morning mm-hmm. like, what what are you thinking Oh, I'm thinking like toughest person wins like it just comes down to mental fortitude right and you can't really put a um, uh, you know, a, a metrics on that, a measurable, tangible, numerical value on who has the most guts. And even then, too, it's moment to moment, right? It's season pros. I I would say my, you know, picks, if you want to call them that, or the people I was watching very closely were season pros who have been in very adverse circumstances and produced right because that's what an elite athlete is someone who produces time and time again the best of circumstances the worst of circumstances but they show up and they produce so you're looking to people like a desi you're looking to people like a shalane you're looking to people even like a kaylin teller who you know took fourth at the olympic trials in the marathon and the 10k in both very hot and you know adverse conditions on the women's side so you're looking to those people who in the face of adversity still show up and deliver However, they're human too. If you've seen, you know, any type of press um, conference with um, Desi, she discussed dropping out in the early stages of the race. Part of her strategy of helping Shalane or like Molly Huddle and forging the wind was like, man, I'm probably going to drop out. I don't feel that good today. And you see even the pros, the best, centrate on the wrong things, which is how do I feel? And I mean, I, you know, the more and more I coach, you, I, I really get frustrated by our overemphasis on how I feel. And a race isn't necessarily about how you're feeling. A race is are you you know willing to put in the effort to produce or not? But yet we spend all this time, oh, I gotta feel fresh, I gotta feel good, this needs to feel easy, this needs to feel, 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 feel. And nine times out of ten, the at least the spectrum of athletes I work with, the people who overfeel, you know, in terms of am I judging good or bad? are the people who rarely produce come race day because oh. that's their default. Oh man, there's a lot to unpack there. A lot. So so I'm going to start with with this and then I'll get to your feeling point, which I think is incredibly important. I pulled up the email that I sent to my little uh, group with uh, Brad and Dave Epstein and Amby Burfart and Mike Joyner, right? This, is, this was my pre-race. Bad weather means a better chance for an athlete like Desi. That mm. the weather actually makes it more wide open and unpredictable, but it's hard to bet against Huddle or Flanagan being top American and potentially winning. With this weather, I'm hedging towards Flanagan, but unsure. Also disappointed, Hasse dropped out at the last minute. Mm. Um, so that was that was my pre-race or pre-race mindset there, right? And if you ask me, if you go back to that, like I gave, let's run some quotes out there. Is I, I think I was looking at a, a huddle or Flanagan, right? But then you add this other component, right? And why why do you think Desi is like why does everyone think oh Desi's tough, Desi does this, she'll be good in these conditions? And I think if you look at her track record, um she does a good job of showing up and getting the most out of what she has in that day, right? And that's mm-hmm. not not to put down the other ladies. They do an incredible job, too. But you know that, hey, like regardless of the conditions or the course, Desi's probably going to run a pretty smart race or um, a, a pretty good race where she gets the most out of herself. And I think that's a testament to experience and training and all that good stuff. And before jumping into your, your feel questions, I'm going to give a um, 
give an on-coaching slight exclusive that might get us into trouble. But, I, I love getting in trouble. Yeah, All right. Hey, I, I want to say I have no idea what Steve's going to say, but I support him 100% because he's my guy. There, there we go. Um, that last point, I'm disappointed Hasse dropped out, okay? But I think I'm not disappointed in Hasse. I'm disappointed in, uh, you know, that she had this stress reaction and went through the moat and was kind of probably told to go through the motions and uh, pull it out the last minute, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's a little bit of level of professionalism there that needs to be uh, held. Not, mm. again, not from Hasse. But anyways... Preach. On to the next point. I think, you know, one of the the big things there is the fatigue standpoint, right? Is that running by feel. And we need to understand that fatigue is just these, it's this combination of like this sensory input coming back to your brain, right? That's trying to get you to do something, right? So when we have all these horrible conditions, your brain's probably sitting there like, ah, shit, right? This is horrible. I'm freezing. I want to be done, et cetera, et cetera. Like all that negative self-talk goes, and you know, mm-hmm. to a higher degree, um, because the conditions aren't like anything that you've raced this this before in. And I think what the unseasoned um, athlete tends to do is they tend to put more credence into that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the seasoned pro knows that, hey, this is this is one side of the story, but this isn't the whole story, right? And I've got to, you know, just... Well, rough patches exist, yeah. right? Frank Turner is famous for saying, yeah, you know, rough patches, they just come up on you in a marathon, and he'd be running along fine, and then for 5Ks in a rough patch. He doesn't freak out. He asks the question, huh, I wonder how long this rough patch will be. I know I can get through it because it's just a rough patch. Nine times out of ten, the less seasoned veteran or the athlete who tends to freak out when met with the rough patch thinks that that you're going to have a continuum, a constant state of it being rough. Yeah, sometimes you have to pull the plug, sure. But if you can forge through that difficult effort, you know, or that difficult time, and but maintain the integrity of your effort, you know, you can you you can turn a corner of all of a sudden. Oh, I feel good. It's amazing. It's amazing how the body works and how. Again, we are very clinical with our approach in a lot of areas, but yet how still, uh, you know, much in our infancy we are with our understanding about how the body really, really works in difficult crucibles like the racing environment. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where it's it's like you can almost – I know we preach a lot to like listen to your body, but like it, listening to your body and what it's telling you means to discern like the good from the bad, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of times what I see from young athletes is the sense that once they have that bad signal, it goes immediately to that freak out moment. And for athletes who have that experience, it doesn't, you don't jump straight to the freak out moment. You have this moment where you try and figure out, hey, is this real or is this not real or is this something I can work my way out of? And you try and try and do that, right? And I think that's what we saw today. Right. But what I think is even more important in Desi's like acknowledgement of the rough patches is what did she do during those rough patches? What what was her mindset switch that she talked about? Mm-hmm. And and there she says, hey, and she actually told Flanagan this. Right. She says, hey, you know, I, I might drop out. Let me know if you need me to do anything. To help. Yeah. Help. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a service posture here. Yes, exactly. 100%. And by doing that, like, what does that do? Well, that shifts things from just this almost like, woe is me, right? Right. Part to, okay, like, this might not be the best, but I'm going to do the best that I can to get, like, you know, to get something positive out of this. And it's famous as like what Jerry Lindgren did when he first started racing, right? He's like, I'm the worst guy on the team. I suck. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to push as hard as I can for my teammates. I'm going to go as far as I can for my teammates. And this tangent and personal anecdote here, um, you know, an offer is very, um, uh, are very reminiscent of the year that my cross country team in college uh, won the first Ivy League cross country title as a team in 25 years. Perhaps, right? There's a lot of history there, and so Columbia had just been a down, you know, a bottom feeder of distance running for a long time in the Ivies, 
A teammate of mine, Will Boyan and Pet, Liam Boyan and Pet's older brother. He was the senior captain. He has stress fracture in his tibia. And he lined up the day I had. So he said, guys, I'm going to take the pack because we had two front men who are a one-two punch. But we had a big group of guys. He goes, guys, I'm going to take this pack as far as I can until I black out, until my leg falls off, or until it completely snaps. And then after I'm done, three of you got to go. Will said that to all of us and all of us, and he set the table. And he knew he wasn't going to finish. He knew he could only get so far. He actually took us to 5K. But out of that group, you had a band of brothers and a band of you know teammates who were very motivated to then do right by Will's effort. So a host of us, like guys that never even performed at even a conference level capacity, came out of the blue. And we won magically that first cross-country Ivy League title in 25 years. And since then, Columbia has gone on to been a consistent contender for the Ivy League cross-country championships. But the, the you know, uh, moral of the story here is it took a service mindset from a leader to then propel the entire group to the next level. And it's funny because you see what Desi did. She's a leader in her own right. She took a service mindset. She took the narcissistic point of view off of herself. How am I doing? How am I feeling? Okay, let me help the other Americans here. Let me help Shalane. Let me help model or Molly. Let me help these people, right? And then from that, she says, and then I looked up all of a sudden and I was in third or fourth. So I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't drop out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So you see what you see is is it's it's a beautiful um, shift in perspective where sometimes we have that tendency, especially as a less experienced or more highly narcissistic athlete to focus so internally and be like, oh, I'm feeling awful. Oh, woe is me. Oh, life sucks. Oh, blah, blah. but if you can slightly shift it externally. And she, these weren't even teammates who were trained with, right? These were actually outright competitors, different brands that they all represented, different coaches, different locales of, of the nation. But she, Desi decided to view them as teammates as Americans because she's raced with all these women on Olympic teams or world teams as teammates in that construct. And so she adopted a posture which ended up propelling her psychologically to a place where she found herself in the lead or leading. And all of a sudden, now the thoughts about feeling bad when you're in this historic moment somehow magically dissipate. Exactly. 100%. And I think that's probably one of the most fascinating things. And if you look back to Meb's victory, remember it was it was Ryan yeah. Hall who had similar thoughts, right? And I think that's probably one of the coolest things that you can see. And even seeing after the race and the other Americans celebrating, you know, Desi's win, right? Mm-hmm. Is that's the coolest thing you can see is this this joint camaraderie of competitors, right? These people are going, you know, head to head with each other all the time and for big paydays and big money and for Olympic teams and stuff like that. Yet in a race like this they can almost set aside and say, all right, what what's the bigger picture? If I can't do it, who do I want to be able to? Right. And the the other thing too is the thing that champion here with Desi is um, it's not a game of numbers, right? She doesn't have the most outstanding PRs on the track. You know, I'm looking here at her profile, and it's, you know, her 1,500-meter best outdoors is 427 from college. You know, her 10K on the track best is 31.37 from the U.S. Championships in 2011. You know, her half marathon best is uh, 70.34, right? So, it's not, you know, it's not like this is absolutely insane, you know, the American record holder in anything, you know, as Shalane or Molly or other headliners tend to be. There is a certain other element, this intangible, if you will, for lack of a better word, that equates to this peak performance, right, in an opportune moment. And we applaud and laurel the people who have done it before. and we, we pick them to do it again because they did it before. But even someone, you know, self-professed as Desi, who was in a quote-unquote slump, right? You remember hearing about that? Like, oh, I'm in a slump. I'm just going to race, try to find my mojo again. You know, she's in this slump for six months leading into Boston. It wasn't the perfect training program. It wasn't perfect harmony even with philosophical, um, you know, uh, agreement and disagreement where the coaches about new members are joining Hanson's. Things weren't perfect, 
by any shape of the imagination. But yet somehow, some way, she showed up and delivered on the day. And as I'm saying this, Steve, it reminds me, reminiscent of Sarah's Hall's training, right? When you were all excited about her going into Los Angeles, when you're like, oh man, her training is perfect. It's perfect. It's the best it's ever. And it ended up being adverse conditions. And she had, you know, forget if she dropped out or if that was Ryan or she had a bad race. But then she went into like Chicago, right? And you were kind of like, well, train's kind of been, eh, I don't know. And then she blew, blew the doors out of Chicago. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we put way too much stock in this is the most miles they've ever ran, the most intense they've ever ran, the fastest they've ever ran, the best training they ever had. You know, a certain competitor who dropped out in the men's side, his coach was quoted as saying that, and it ended up being a non-factor today. Yeah, no, that's 100%. And I think that's that's where it's a good lesson to for us almost not to get too caught up in it, right? Especially mm-hmm. at the marathon distances, we have a tendency to put all, all of our, you know, all of our chips in the how is my training going basket, and... <clears throat> Just as easy as it going extremely well, it could go not very well. I mean, Sarah, you gave a great example. It was her debut marathon, and I think she finished in like 240-something. And, you know, I kid you not, I can look back at the training to this day, and it was spot on. It was (laughs) on, man. There wasn't a single bad workout. No, I remember you were like real excited. Like, oh, she's mega fit. This is going to be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't just me. It was like... Sarah telling me that, and more importantly, it was like Ryan telling me that as right, well, yeah. right? And that if that dude has experience, you know, lots, uh, yeah, lots. So, you know, you you look at things like that, and it's easy, I think, to deceive and fool ourselves, and that works both ways, right? It's easy to deceive ourselves, but it's also easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're not ready to go because we had a couple hiccups, right? But right. what what it comes down to. And what you what you learn in this marathon game a lot is is it's how you manage those right mm-hmm. yeah and I think I wrote you know something down actually the other day because um, I was having a discussion with all my athletes go the best training never goes according to plan that's the best training the best training is contingencies plan B's audibles figuring out day to day how to respond to what's going on in the moment you know when we feel like yeah, you don't want people to be completely non-compliant and just not work out. That's not what we're saying here. But what we're saying is saying, okay, well, I feel fatigued. I have a little niggle. This is an expression here. And then having a discerning palate to make the best choice for the long-term ability for the athlete to show up in the moment. And I ask athletes this all the time. I go, what moment are you training for? And some people look at me kind of like fuzzy and I go, no, what's the moment? Because if the moment is – you know, what Desi experienced today, what Shalane experienced in New York, or what Sarah experienced in Chicago, then you're fully prepared for the moment. But if you're just training for this clinical um, feedback and this clinical approach where I'm going to run these splits for these long runs, and then I'll be able to do that on race day, and that's the game I'm playing, it's kind of banal and trite. And like, you know, the, the commentary you hear about people like just regurgitating oh they're in this split and it's a split commentary you know i i'm kind of i'm just like man can we come up with something a little bit better than just that (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know it's it's funny you look at things like that and you look at who won the man and women's race right and and to me it's people who have demonstrated the ability to race in a variety of conditions i mean look at the men's winner right yuki um However, you say his last name. Sorry, I'm blanking right now. But he's he's running. We'll get it. Yeah. How many? How many marathons? Right. How many marathons? He ran four. He ran four this year. Yeah. In 2018, he ran four in 2018, and and he works full time for the government. And it's April. Like he ran a 106 half marathon in a suit. (laughs) Right. Yes. And and Kawauchi. 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 There you go. For and, the win. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's – and the funny thing is, and in this marathon, he took it out on, like, 207 marathon pace. Yes, Kawuchi, baby. Come and, on. And everyone, <laughs> and including, you know, myself and others, and, you know, I think uh, Ross Tucker, who's a very bright guy, put this out. He's like, uh, he won't be a player at the end. But, you know, here comes this guy who took it out on essentially a suicide pace at the beginning. 
everyone else blows up. Like he fades a little bit, but then comes back and wins the wins the stupid thing. Right. And I think that's a brilliant demonstration of here's this guy who has trained himself outside of the norms to do things where, hey, you know what? I enjoy racing. I'm just gonna keep racing. Right. right. And and mm-hmm. because of that, like he set himself up and to be in position to race in pretty much any fatigue state, like any conditions, because he's experienced it all. Well, and yeah, remember, Kawuchi ran the fastest marathon in the coldest weather, right? Remember, like that was, like that's just not me being crazy. Again, I'm, I stay kind of my track little bubble. So I, I look to Steve for the road marathon affirmation and, you know, f- facts, uh, accuracy here. But I mean, the worst coldest weather in the New, in New England in like, the, you know, the middle of winter, he runs a marathon. And then the guy comes out here and wins Boston. And I think the best quote of the day is a reporter asked him, like, you know, hey, it's awful conditions, you know, and it's amazing you did this in awful conditions. And he's like, no, these were the best conditions for me, you know. And even Desi's husband, um, you know, was quoted as saying, oh, another day in paradise. Because that mindset of Mother Nature, the weather, this, we got to go to, perfect Palo Alto. We need to find the most perfect condition type race to express our fitness mentality is not something that these two athletes regularly do. So they were ready for the moment of an adverse weather, you know, monsoon, cold, potential hypothermic, let's see who can grind and grit it out the most Boston Marathon. Then maybe people who have been a little bit more manicured for only, oh, I only race at the most perfect places and you see this all the time manifested too right especially in collegiate distance running in america people go out to california to run amazingly fast times and it's great and i'm excited and i'm not getting mad about that and i think you know it's a good thing to do but yet they come to the midwest or the south when they have thunderstorms tornado warnings and you know humidity and all of a sudden these people that we look to say oh they're really fast they'll easily make it through the rounds falter and they falter hard yeah and i think that's you know it kind of comes back to our our uh our guy nasim talib's book anti-fragile a little bit right yeah man oh we've been talking about it for like years that's how good of a book it is yeah yeah but that's that's how it is like are you setting yourself up to be fragile or anti-fragile and if you're fragile like yeah you you can do it in great conditions right you Mm -hmm. can show up and on a perfect day when everything's certified and good, you can you can kill it. But you know when things aren't can't be controlled, aren't manufactured, aren't you know set up in a perfect way, then sometimes you know the re- the real racing occurs, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you know above anything, watching the Boston Marathon this morning was. One of the favorite races I've seen in, in years, right? And that's not because, oh, an American won necessarily, although it was great. I think it was cool because you had no idea what was going to happen. Right. Right? Yeah, and that's, you know, and that's how racing should be, right? I, I really, seeing her making predictions, it's just kind of like, you know, piss in the wind. You got all these arrogant pundits who say, this is for sure happening. And it's like, man, you, you have no clue. You know, and I, I shy away from that myself because I'm curious to see what happens. Even on race day, people ask me, oh, how are, you, how, where are your athletes ready to run? I go, man, we're both watching. <laughs> like, you and me both. Like, we'll know when they do it because I know what the preparation has been. And, yeah, I'm cheering for my, you know, athletes I have in races 100% because I have a dog in the fight and I want to see them, you know, manifest what they're capable of. But they ultimately, the person has to be ready. And you talk, you know, coaches like, oh, how do we train that up? How do we get them ready? I think it just comes down to, you know, one's constitution. You kind of make the decision or you don't. And it's unfortunately so not something we can teach, right? It just, it has to be, hey, this is really what I care about. I'm going to go as far as I can go and see what happens. And that was the mindset I think you saw from both of the victors today. And you've seen from victors in other races, maybe not as such a you know um, broad and expansive platform as the Boston Marathon, but you see it. You see it at high school dual meets. You see it at state, um, you know, or co- college co- 
conference meets. You see it, you know, at, at the NAI and NCAA champ or, or NAI and NCAA championships, right? But we just miss it because, again, it's not as publicized, and it also doesn't fit a lot of our confirmation bias. Our confirmation bias is to say, if we clinically prescribe the volume and intensity of things, we have a better certainty about what will then translate and happen on race day. Because if you've ran 10 times a quarter at 70 with two minutes rest in a workout consistently, then that means you can for sure run 440 for the mile if you're you know, a, a female collegian miler, right? Not the case. Not the case at all. We still got to show up and see what happens. Yeah, 100%. And I think like that... That uncertainty, again, is kind of what makes racing interesting. Um, but it's also something that I think you can train and adapt for to a degree, right? And it starts with that mindset. You know, if in looking at the quotes from the athletes afterwards, right, you, you look at their mindsets and you look at what uh, Yuki said about the weather, as you pointed out. You look at <laughs> what Desi's uh, husband, I believe, said about the weather, right? Those are those are mindset things. And a lot of times mm -hmm. we, we gloss over those and say like, oh, that's to use Lauren Fleshman's word, that, that's woo woo. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I think what you see is that like at, when push comes to shove and these kind of characteristics, like it matters. Right. You have to have the right mindset to be able to, you know, to finish this thing. And, you you know, honestly, if you look at just what happened in the last couple miles. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, look, look at it. So I'm going to give people a little refresher here. All right. Let's go to the women's race. Let's look at, at 21 miles. All right. I'm going to bring up this, the leaders. All right. We have Daska in first, Gladys Chessier in second, one second back, Linden, Desi Linden's in third, seven seconds back, Molly Huddle fourth. Fifth is Hiroko from Japan. Sixth is Flanagan. Seventh is Kiplagat from Kenya. Eighth is Rotich from Kenya. Nine is Nicole uh, Demercurio um, and from the U.S. And tenth is Krista Duchesne from Canada. All right, that's mm -hmm. 21 miles, right? 21 miles. Yeah, we got five miles left to go. And then the finish, Linden. Sarah Sellers from the U.S. What? Yeah, Weber State alum. Shout yep. out to the big guy. There you go. Chris I remember I remember when she was Sarah Callister and I was coaching at Portland State. I was like, she's gritty. There, there you go. Gritty, right? Chris she was. I, she was gritty. I was like, man, she's gritty. I know Paul, her coach. Phenomenal. Like, just, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> Krista uh, Duchesne, third, goes from 10th to 3rd, has, I think, three kids. I want to say mm -hmm. a couple kids. Mm -hmm. Rachel Highland moves up to 4th. Uh, Jessica... Chichester, fifth, no idea where she came from. Uh, Nicole, uh, sixth, Flanagan, seventh, Kimmy Reed, eighth, Edna Kiplagat, ninth, Hiroko is tenth. Like, it's a completely changed. Oh, the deck shuffled, yes. Yeah, insanely so. Over just the final, you ran 21 miles and you have five miles left, right? And the deck changed completely. And I think that. That right there, A, shows how fun this race was to watch, yeah. one. But it also shows that, hey, when push comes to shove over the last couple miles, what matters, right? It's, it's, and I think we forget, like, the the legacy of Samuel Angerno here, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the most prolific, like, to me, he's the, the greatest marathoner of all time. I mean, even though he died way too young and, you know, forever, like, under whatever weird conditions, but... To do what he did at Beijing Marathon, go out at what people thought in the heat and humidity was lights out insane. Oh, he's definitely going to die, guys. Nope. Set the Olympic record in the marathon in the most adverse conditions. Because why? He was ready. And then, remember Chicago Marathon before his yeah. passing? <laughs> I mean, you thought the guy was dead. You thought, no way he's going to win this. Somehow, some way, he looked deep, deep inside himself. And rallied to beat a world-class athlete who was at the top of his game to win the thing i mean and that's the beauty of the artistry of racing and that's the beauty of the artistry of the marathon or even the you know the 100 meters or any event we have right and to demean it by 
just saying it's a pure splits endeavor. Again, I'm just so tired of that narrative. It's it's just sloppy and lazy. It just shows you that people really haven't done their homework if you're just going to sit here and talk about splits all day. Yeah, that's a part of the narrative for sure. But if you're a, a journalist of any repute or if you're positioning yourself as a pundit who's making predictions, do your homework. Talk about those intangibles because especially in a marathon and even in any races, they do matter. They do. I mean, again, and not to belabor the point, but looking at the men's splits at 35K, so 7K left, uh, Yuki was 90 seconds back from Karui. That's like 400 meters, <laughs> at least. Yeah. And this is. You're, you're a lap behind on the track. And this is Karui, right? Right? <laughs> Karui's very good. Yes. Respect. And. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, excellent, and I think that's what it shows a little bit is like, hey, here here, here you go is this, you know, the deck sh- shuffling a lot. But it also shows that, like, hey, here's here's guys in both um, Yuki and then and females, Linden and others, who race, timed it well enough to race to the the finish, right? And I think that's the other thing that is very interesting, especially as me from a science nerd standpoint, is looking at the pacing strategy, not in terms of splits, but who judged their effort well to the finish, right? And and what you saw is a lot of people who absolutely did not, right? Who overspent early on and paid the price, right? And you had these crazy temperatures and wind and rain and all this stuff. And our two leaders, like, figured out how to measure their gas tank the best. Right. Yeah, and I think it comes down to focus, right? Focus. So when you're focused, you're focused on the right things. When you fall out of focus, you start to focus on the wrong things. So that's to me, is what I call focus state. So focusing might be... Um, you know, thinking about how you're moving or some type of mantra or things that really create that immersion, that flow state, because you're just centering on that. When you're out of focus, you start thinking about, oh, how do I feel? What's the water like? Oh, I have 20 miles in this. Oh, my goodness. You know, it, it creates a cascade, whether it's a positive or negative feedback loop, right? And we know positive feedback loop and negative feedback loops are exponential when it comes to psychological thought so if you start to engage that thought positive it begets momentum in a virtuous direction but if you engage the negative thought it also begets momentum in a bad direction that's not going to be useful to you and that's how i distinguish good and bad good useful bad not useful and you, you see these athletes who yeah desi was in a negative mindset pattern a rough patch she, she shifted to a more service mindset found herself all of a sudden up in contention for the win and in the podium and said, oh, I guess I don't feel that bad after all, <laughs> right? Because she got new evidence to make a new decision. And that is important as well too, right? Sometimes we think constant in terms of how it is now is how it's going to be forever. I'm suffering. It sucks. I'm at mile five. Can't believe I can go another 21 miles or, oh, man, I'm at mile 21 and I have five miles to go and I feel really bad. I, just, I don't know about this. you know. But we've, once you get new evidence and new data, and sometimes it's just your thought. Sometimes it's just do you believe that positive, you know, useful um, thinking that you employ, that can then create a whole new constitution about how you're doing what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. But what I've noticed is, Again, the not just you know, the more inexperienced athlete or the athlete who hasn't forged themselves through these difficult situations time and time again, it's a difficulty sometimes of what to measure, what to track, and what to ignore. And so all inputs are then processed. And the the best athletes and the the, the people who are victors in these adverse conditions they ignore so much and they focus on the you know elements to measure and track that actually are the most vital to there they've cut through all the blizzard of noise to the clear signal and that's what you see with people who appropriate their you know energy or appropriate their um uh, gas tank if you will 
to be able to run the race to the finish versus several of those women, right, who were there that you mentioned, Steve, in the top 10 with five miles to go, a couple of them dropped out five miles to go, probably, you know, for a variety of reasons. But it's amazing how much changed in a span of like 35 minutes. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that was uh, that was what, again, I keep coming back to that. This was a pure entertainment spectacle right i was i was i was sitting there in in our staff meeting right watching the boston marathon um and trying not to go nuts well seeing things go until the end when i could go nuts yeah um but you know that it, it's like the enjoyment out of that and i think one of the thing one of the things that we neglect right or we forget and our good friend danny Mackey, i think tweeted about this is how long this moment took to reach creation. Yes. Right? Like, what what, what the time span was and the investment was to get to this point, right? And, and I think that's an important point of this that we hopefully learn is that success does not come easier overnight a lot. And sometimes it takes, you know, I mean, what, Desi's been with, brooks for probably 12 13 years now yeah i mean you know let's just do a quick aside here right i mean desi has been yeah on the scene longer than that i mean yeah. but when she started she didn't come out with the big contract she didn't come out you know with all the hype and media you know she was just you know desi working part-time in the running shoe store you know throwing down the miles in the michigan winners and it was brick by brick, step by step, you know, uh, that she just kept showing up. And I think she even like tweeted something to that effect. Just keep showing up. Because if you show up at the start line, you have a shot. If you don't make it to the start line, you have zero shot. And then if you disqualify yourself before the race even begins, like that's on you. And I know a lot of people and athletes who disqualify themselves from the get-go because they look at someone and they say, Oh, their resume is really impressive. Oh, they are fully sponsored and I'm not. Oh, they have this really famous coach or agent and I don't. Oh, this and all that. And you've disqualified yourself fundamentally because for what? Because the kit or singlet that in school that they go to is perceived, quote unquote, better than yours. That's not why we run the race. We run the race to see who has the best stuff today, given all the circumstances and conditions today. Not tomorrow, not when it's perfect, not when you feel the best today. And I'd be, we'd be remiss if we don't remember. That's what peak performance is about. And Steve will cut me off and tell me if I'm absolutely wrong because he wrote the book. But it's about <laughs> the best that you got today. Not you know when everything's perfect or you feel just right or you're finely tuned, but on the day. And that is where sometimes I think we lose – our constitution as coaches and athletes about what we're really, really training and preparing for is for these types of moments. Because if you look down the list, the Olympic, you know, Rio was not the most favorable conditions. The NCAA regional meets are never the most favorable conditions. Outdoors USA track this year, right? Des Moines, Iowa, not going to be favorable conditions <laughs> in June <laughs> at all. <laughs> but so are you training people to run very, very fast and that's the game you're playing? Or are you training them to have a more diverse capability where they can run very fast, but also they're just tough as shit? And, you know, that's what you saw. Any champion at their heart is just one tough mother effer. That is uh, 100%. And as the person who wrote Peak Performance, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and in fact, I believe Desi is mentioned in our book, Peak Performance. So there there you go. Actually, uh, so, well, what other, I mean, you know, so we got the Peak Performance discussed, the science of running discussed. Like we need to, to hit home. And I mean, you've coached several athletes, Steve, who have ran very well, Americans on the Boston Marathon course. What about this course? And what about, you know, well, performing on this course, do you consider when you are preparing people or working with people for this race? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Because it's a tough course, man, even no, if there is no bad weather. No, it's, it's or tough. Adverse weather. It's tough. 
Um, there's almost always wind and all that stuff, but there's also, it's just hills and, you know, you go downhill for a while, which beats your legs up and then you get the hills at the end. So, you know, I think what I've learned in this course is it's more about knowing and the ability to pace and judge the marathon well, right? And, you know, watching it today, right? And I provided my online little Twitter summary as I was watching it, thoughts, but, what I saw and you could tell is that some people misjudged it, right? When Daska took off in the lead at that moment in those conditions with the major hills to come, right? You, you, you know, I, I remember tweeting it out. I remember texting Brad and saying like, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's probably too early, right? Mm-hmm. The other, the other ladies in the pack, like if they're close enough, they're going to be fine. And the reason for that is that Boston provides this unique, you know, different aspect of a course and it changes the marathon, right? If you're just training for a marathon, if you're training to run, let's say 220 as a woman or 225 or whatever, and you think, okay, I'm doing this training, I'm in 220 marathon shape and you show up for Boston, well, all bets are off if you didn't mm-hmm. do the prep for Boston, right? So, you know, with, with Neely or Zach or some others who I, I, I had performed really well at Boston, it's because they did some specific prep work, right? They were doing hills in the middle of their tempo run, right? So they might do, instead of a straight, you know, marathon pace traditional effort, they might do, uh, you know, three by three miles or three by four miles at marathon pace with, you know, five by 60 second hills in the middle, right? Because you're trying to get used to, getting crap in your legs running up and down hills actually (laughs) um but then like getting back into a rhythm right because that's what it kind of is it's like getting some stuff in your legs getting back into a rhythm getting some more stuff in your legs getting back into a rhythm and just like trying to figure out how to do that so you have to change the dynamics of it i mean i remember even when i was with uh with kara goucher training right she would do some downhill work now she kind of went they went kind of went crazy on it and beat her legs to death but like you've got to understand and have the skill set to learn run downhill as well as uphill at boston and it it has these nice uh distinct requirements um that you have to train for that is more than just training for a marathon and i think you know too it's a nice illusion to think that if i just run these paces in training and workout, I magically want to walk to this PR. And this goes for anyone, whether you're a three-hour, five-hour, two-hour marathoner, right? It's the the mental crucible, the ability to say, you know, again, going back to um, uh, Kawauchi of saying, look, I never gave up. You know, I I never gave up this concept that you're always betting on yourself and that you're just curious rather than worried. And that's the the whole concept of like I never gave up to unpack that. Most people are so worried about the outcome. If I don't run this time, then it means all my effort. No, no, no. To be curious. See what you can do. See what your best is today. And if you can cross the finish line and be like, hey, that is everything I had in my fiber of my being today, then then you, you did it. I mean, you did what you could do. You, you, you can look at that race and look at that day and say, hey, that is why I showed up is to see what I had. And, yeah, we train to stretch. We train to grow. We train to create a, you know, to respond to a stimulus, to create an adaptation, to get a payoff. And the payoff is to be able to do things at a longer capacity or higher intensity of capacity, yes. But, it, again, if you're not – embracing the difficult moments if you're not embracing adversity in your training if you're not embracing the opportunity to you know use training or the days you have a blister on a long run the days your shorts are like you know sports bras chafing really bad the days where it's like it's just cold and wet from the first step and it's just not it's windy and it's just not gonna get any better if you're not embracing those tertiary things as part of your training and you're so fundamentally worried about what your stopwatch or GPS says and that's how you judge whether what you're doing is valuable or not valuable or you know you're you're getting better or not better by what those numbers only say 
again, I, I encourage you to reconsider because what we saw today was it was not a game of numbers of splits ran. It was a game of, you know, mental fortitude. It was a game of reconvincing oneself to say, Hey, let me find a way out of this rough patch. It was a game of saying, I'm going to put my bets on me. and I'm never going to get up, give up until I cross the line. And I think that, you know, this is a good demonstration of why, like, being prepared isn't preparing for some spe- exacting specific domain, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's impossible to tell how a race will go or what conditions will go. You know, um, you know, a couple days earlier, you had the Commonwealth Games. Which was right, yeah. the marathon, which was run in extremely hot conditions, and the leader, um, who's a very good quality athlete, Callum Hawkins, you know, suffered from some uh, apparent heat stroke, or, and, you know, had a very uh, almost tragic dropout. He's right. okay, but like it was crazy to watch, right? And you never, you never know exactly what the conditions are. So when you're looking at preparing athletes, it's not getting tied only down to the specific demands of hey this is this is what i have to run pace wise this is what i have to do um in order to compete this is how hard i have to kick right you need good general abilities right and i think that's what you look at at desi or um any of the others who ran pretty well there is they not only have are very specifically trained for the boston marathon but they're very uh, generally trained have skills to utilize in different settings yeah i mean 23 of the elite athletes men and women 23 dnf'd and that just goes to show you how insane and traumatic the conditions were and, and i we think should, that's more than the hot year right when leonard career won yeah, and we should point out that like people are like oh you'll just dnf if you're not there but like many of these athletes could have placed in the top 10 Right? right or top five and for those who don't know how contracts work right if you dnf you get reduced a lot right yes. your appearance fee for these big times but a lot of times there's time kickers but there's also place kickers a lot which means like hey if i place in the top five or top 10 like regardless of my time i'm gonna get all of that appearance fee so right some people who legitimately would have banked some big money um dropped out just because the conditions were so horrible yeah I, it just goes to show, and these people are very well prepared you know it's not to say to discredit any coach or any athlete here like oh we didn't consider that it was going to be the, like people consider this people are like well you know boss the thing about boston right is it's not just the course it's also the conditions you can have an amazing tailwind and run fantastic prs like ryan hall did you can have the hot year where People are just sweating and dropping like flies, as we thought, and have a Leonard career come out of nowhere and win. And you can have this year now, right, where it's a crazy, everything cold, people are getting hypothermic. These are some of the best people in the entire world at marathon racing. And you're seeing 23 of them voluntarily be like, yep, I'm going to quit today, even though I've been training diligently and specifically for this for six months. That is not normal. That just goes to show you how difficult today was. I don't know if we'll ever see something like this ever again. It's a historic Boston, and I'm glad I witnessed it. I'm glad I'm alive. And, you know, some part of me is like, I'm glad I didn't have an athlete in there today <laughs> So because <laughs> it was just insane. But, uh, you know, hats off to everyone who finished, whether you won or whether, you know, you're the final finisher, because to do that is a testament about what the marathon truly is about, which is this fortitude, this perseverance, this never, you know, give up mentality that we so applaud in our culture. And that unfortunately is just far, far to follow through by most. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better there with, um, Having it, you know, I, I would have, this is the first Boston in a couple of years I haven't had someone. So it, it would have been very interesting to see, uh, see what would have happened. But I, I don't know if I could, uh, be out. I definitely would have, would not have been out there cheering for them. I would have been inside <laughs> watching the TV. Sorry, coach, coach truth there. Yeah. Uh, well, what, what person in the right mind would have said, yeah, today's a good idea to go run 26 miles unless it was the Boston Marathon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, 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 and again, respect to everyone. 
total respect to everyone who showed up, who started, who gave it a shot. 100%. We're not discrediting anyone here who prepared de- deliberately and diligently for this. Like all respect in the world. It's just interesting to see how the cards fell. And again, hindsight's 2020, right? But you're seeing a lot of – and then not to say the people who dropped out aren't really tough themselves. I mean, Shlaine Flanagan, who got six, one of the toughest people on the planet that I know, like yeah. without a doubt. You know, it just goes to show you the severity of the conditions and how that can throw a huge wrench into this illusion of preparation or training or this concept of, oh, they're ready to go. They've done the most, the fastest, intensest they've ever done. And that, by our markers, means they're going to be good. They're going to show up and deliver. And we just show it shows that confirmation bias like there still has to be that spirit of curiosity and discover where the whole point of running the race is to see what happens and to make it happen if you're an athlete. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. So let's uh, let's end this special Boston um, episode by, you know, what what's your big takeaway besides that? Like what what inspires you? What made you learn? What was the big thing? It, it is a constant theme I always have. Don't predict, do. You know, don't predict, do. Just people predict when we want to predict all the time because it's safe, it's secure, it's easy. It requires nothing. It's free. So, you know, people write all these articles. I'm predicting this. I'm predicting that. Blah, 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 blah. No. Show up and do. Show up and do. And when you do, it's done. Right? And when you do it, it's done. And that's what I'm always curious about. That's why I watch races say, who's going to do what when? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I know people I coach with were, you know, I encourage them to do something when, but show up and do. Man, I love that. You know, and and looking at this marathon, I think you know, from a maybe a non-coaching standpoint, I think what it shows is the beauty of our sport and the potential it has. Right? Because, yeah. like, you know, I I talk to a lot of friends, um, uh, actually some non-runners. We watched it, paid attention to it, and we're kind of enthralled by it. And, you know, part of that was the crazy conditions, but part of it also was the fact that we had people to root for and the racing was unpredictable. And I think if we can figure out some greater way to market this sport and get people to pay attention to, you know, amazing things like this, I, I think there's uh, there's hope for the future of running. Well, there, there's always hope. I mean, I, you know, quick little tangent before we end. You know, it's like, how do you save the sport? The sport doesn't need saving. The sport is awesome. It's great. It's, it is what it is. It just needs people to continue to show up and do what they're doing and to just own it and love it. And to just, you know, marketing is this very opaque term. It's like today is a, a day of like the people's champs won. The blue collar the under the radar, the people that aren't the most famous or, you know, don't have all the fancy, you know, bells and whistles or have the millions and millions and millions of dollars of funding from, you know, whatever sponsor or outfit, they got it done when it was like push come to shove, rough edges, who's going to come and like chop down the tree because you know what? The family needs firewood to stay warm. That's what I'm saying. Like, it does. We we've conditioned ourselves to erroneously think you need the accoutrements to have a success. No, all it is is success, and then allows you to be afforded the accoutrements if you just so desire. But that's the spirit of distance running: is this blue collar worth a work ethic? I never give up. I always know I have a shot. I'm going to run all the way to the finish line and then see what happens. And that's why this Boston Marathon was so beautiful. Amen. Couldn't have said it better. So, you know, if you're inspired by the Boston Marathon, then maybe go over and get inspired to get life insurance from Health IQ. <laughs> yes, baby. Oh, we're getting good at it. And don't forget, you can get 100 bucks from us if you go to highperformancewest.com. Click on the $100 tab. Fill it out. We'll pick two people, and we'll give you 100 bucks for your own pocket. And we'll give you each $100 to give and make a contribution because that's the spirit of this podcast. That's the spirit of high performance. 
uh, West, and that's the spirit of what Steve and I are all about. So thank you. Just like Desi and Shalane helped each other, we're trying to help everybody. That's oh. how we're inspired. So thanks again for listening. Um, if you like things, again, check out our sponsors. Rate us on iTunes, all that good stuff. It helps the podcast grow, and it also just helps us really keep this thing going, which is what we want, and give more quality stuff like this. Um, so thanks again for listening.